0: meisters welcome to the official celebration episode of the uh, six-time european champions variant podcast works after a season that no one predicted was wrapped up with one of the worst pandemics that we all or that we all experienced the 2019 2020 european season is finally over And Bayern Munich are the freaking European champions, guys. Tom, Chuck, get in here, start talking right now. Ain't this absolutely damn amazing? I've been waiting for this moment for so long. I was saying before we all started that I really only got into soccer, like, in between 2013 and 2014. When I first started following Bayern, I didn't even know that they... Had won the Champions League the year before, and now I finally got to see this moment. It's been a very long time, and we finally got here. Boys, how are you feeling today? Like, just start talking. Let's just let's just get all this good energy out.
1: Jake, I gotta say, this was uh this was a, a very special day for being a day after. It was such a wild ride yesterday. A lot of fun, and I'm one of those people who was tied into some family things going on, so I had to watch on delay. And you know, while I had already heard the uh, result because I didn't delete the Byron app from my phone, uh, I was still able to enjoy the game like I didn't know the result when I watched. So for me, it was just tremendous to watch. I had a lot of fun with it yesterday, but today, the day after, you know what? It was just as good. It was just as exciting. And I gotta say, Jake and Tom, The ride of this season, the entire journey, was such an awesome experience. There were so many lows at the beginning. There were times when I felt like this team was going nowhere. There was no direction. You start to lose some faith in some of the players. But when Hansi Flick took over, things changed. There was such a revitalization, and it made the season fun. And it wasn't just fun because they were winning. It was fun because you could see that this was a team. This was, a, this was a group of players who had one goal in mind. They were unified for it. We didn't have any nonsense. No one was complaining about the cold German winters. This was a fun ride. This was a team. And we saw that championship game. What we saw in that was the result of what a team looks like. It was every player on the pitch. And every player on the bench contributing in one way or another. It was awesome. That's that's the most I can say about yeah, it. Yeah, I could easily
2: rattle off a list of words for emotions, things I'm feeling right now. But if I if I am gonna make something really last and stick out on this podcast, and I hope that many Bayern fans uh, like ourselves remember, is it feels right for for everything that Chuck just mentioned, everything that you've mentioned. Uh, like literally uh, two feet from where I'm sitting right now, it was um november i got a call from you who said they sacked kovac we got to sit down we got to talk about this um it got pretty emotional you were a big kovac supporter jake i liked him as well um the x's and o's didn't line up a change was necessary from our front office's point of view and the change was made and we had a match against Olympiacos, and then dare are coming up and we were all uh for lack of a better term very nervous uh Rightfully, rightfully and justifiably so at the time We had no idea what the hell was going to happen And um, how well this team was going to be playing under Hansi Flick And uh, again, uh, back in March, just two feet from where I'm sitting We recorded our first podcast since um, all of the footballing leagues had paused And you know, I gotta tell you, I was in a very bizarre mood You know, I, I manage a gym for a living People were very, very concerned The, the mood was just terrible you know, things were very, very scary, and we had no idea. We were even commenting on that episode. Uh, we didn't know if we were going to see Bayern play again. Uh, we didn't know if, if that was it or you know, what was going to happen. And to come full circle, uh, literally the season took over a year uh, to get where we're at. Bundesliga champions, day of call champions, Champions League winners, the second historic treble since 2013. Uh, like I said, it just feels right. I know I've hammered home a couple of times on previous episodes uh, of this podcast, but just the way that this team was so willing to work for one another, so happy to work with one another and alongside one another, whether it's someone like Tiago who wasn't playing as much before coronavirus, whether it's someone like Goretzka or Alba, guys who were asked to do multiple different roles, Joshua Kimmich, nobody complained, everyone put their head down. Uh, went arm in arm and they were all ready to run through a brick wall for one another and I think especially uh, in Portugal this this really showed you know I saw guys leave absolutely nothing out on the pitch uh, against Chelsea, Lyon and against uh, PSG last night and it's just amazing to see and, and it's very very amazing to be a part of something like BFW um, to be so connected with Bayern Munich fans around the world and like I was talking to you guys just before this the energy i could feel i just i felt connected more so to anything than i ever have before uh larger than life itself and we were we all lived through it yesterday and you know now we're sitting here it feels absolutely great and we can tell our kids grandkids about this and and just the team spirit how hard they fought and just teach them mia san mia and what it means and point directly to this team in 2013 and that's history you know this this is history in the making
1: Tom, I I, be honest here. How nervous were you yesterday when you were live (laughs) tweeting the game there? I mean,
2: (laughs) yeah, I, I pretty, pretty nervous. Um, you know, I always look at it as this is an opportunity that was, that was given to me. Um, I am a firm believer in fate. Um, so I feel like as a supporter, um, for a sport and a team that's given me so much they owe me nothing uh and i owe the fans and and the club everything so i was nervous but um for all the right reasons and it was good nerves i didn't eat much before the game it just kind of like ruined my appetite uh it was very antsy pensive i know uh one of our followers um i see her stuff on twitter all the time they were asking about big game rituals like i had to get a workout and before big games it gets rid of the antsiness and i just had to get the blood flowing and you know not sit still for uh, an extended period of time and then yeah went through what was a roller coaster of a ride and we won in the end and the nerves just immediately turned to elation and jubilation and it was amazing to experience it with every everyone on the twitter community um at once you know we we're all feeling the was, same that, was, it
0: was that was awesome. that pre-game ritual tweet from uh at cersei yeah tom yes Yep. Yeah, because I, I tweeted something similar, like, to the effect of, like, earlier that... Shout out to her, by the way, but, like, earlier in the morning, like, I... I One of my gigs that I was able to find throughout all of COVID was that at my church, I get to record, uh, like, services and then put them up on YouTube and stuff along those lines. It's, it's great money. They're amazing people. Um, but I was sitting there and I was getting ready to go in. I had my Byron kit on. I wore a Byron kit to church and I was like getting dressed and I almost grabbed a pair of Pumas. And, uh, that may have been the thing that prevented Byron from losing that. I was like, Oh, can't do that. And I immediately grabbed a pair of Adidas instead. But like, that was, that was the most hectic thing. I don't know about anybody else. I did not sleep this entire week from like the moment that I knew we were playing in the final every night. I was just up all night running through lineups, running through matchups in my head. When I was at my job, I was, I like grabbed a piece of paper, drew a halfway line and drew two goals at the bottom and was like plotting out like what a lineup would look like and what each matchup would look like and how it like made an advantage of, uh, Things for PSG or made an advantage for Bayern, right? Because I was, I was just, I was constantly nervous throughout this entire thing. I say the one, the one game I really wasn't that nervous was Lyon, and I wasn't really that nervous against Chelsea either. But Barcelona, I was so nervous because. <laughs> the, like we need to, I think we need to remind ourselves, right? I think, I think we can. We, we need to be humbled by this season because this is really the most humbling season that a Bayern fan could have gone through. It started out in the Bundesliga with a 2-2 draw against Hertha Berlin. It never really seemed like this was a team that had it all put together. And somehow, in the most insane chaos, they were able to find the light because I really, I really feel the need to just shout this out to the heavens because I appreciate CBS sports for their coverage, right? Throughout most of their coverage, they talked about like how dominant of a team Byron was. And I think everyone that follows us knows how undominant they were, how prone to uh, mistakes they were, right? Like, like, let's remember this. We... We were about to let Thomas Müller go. We all thought that Thomas Müller was leaving in November, right? We thought Jerome Boateng was out the door, right? Like, we we really could not have... I, I think it would take the most ardent believer of the club to look at a 5-1 loss to Eintracht Frankfurt and say, yeah, no, we can easily turn this around and come back and win the Champions League with Hansi Flick, a man who hadn't managed a team since the 2005 Hoffenheim side that was in the Dreite It I, I need to really accent this, right? It is a miracle. It is an utter miracle that these things happened for Bayern Munich. We need to count our blessings every day that the board look at Hansi Flick, and said, yeah, this is the man that we were going to go with. Because let's keep in mind, right? When was the last time that Byron went through this, right? We went through this back in September. And the caretaker manager then was Willie Sagnol, a man that in his pre match for this game decided to pick Juan Bernat to start at left back over Alfonso Davies. Just wanted to keep a reminder of that and to put that out there, right? These things. Are not supposed to happen. Miracles like this aren't supposed to happen in real life. And this year was the year where nothing was real life. Like that is, that is my that is my real like my my logic kicking in, right? There is no way that we could have predicted anything to happen. And maybe the most unpredictable of all. Was that a caretaker manager who then later became the full time manager with little experience being directly in charge of a team? He has amazing pedigree. He jumped around to a bunch of amazing teams as assistant coaches, picked things up along the way. But if you really sat there and said to yourself right before the Olympiacos game, yeah, Hansi Flick is going to be our manager of the future. I would have called you insane. I think any Bayern fan around you that heard that statement would call you insane. I think they would point at you and laugh at you to the point where you went off into the corner and cried. Because a statement like that with a manager like that it's not it's not miracles are not supposed to happen and yet it happened. It's amazing. What Hansi Flick was able to do with this team. And it really, it really needs to be accentuated, right? Because this Bayern team did not become dominant until Hansi Flick came in charge. Bayern drew, I think, two games in the aftermath of that loss, and every other one was a win. They're the first team to ever go undefeated throughout the entirety of the UEFA Champions League and the most engagement I've ever got on a bunch of on a series of tweets was when I would tweet out Bayern's aggregate Bayern's aggregate throughout the entirety of the UEFA Champions League throughout all their group stage games throughout all their knockout stage games 43 to 8 They did not allow double-digit goals the entire competition. It is insane that this team was able to turn it around. Hansi Flick deserves Manager of the Year. He deserves his own Ballon d'Or for whatever he did to this team. Whatever witch doctor he got for this team also deserves a pay raise. Um... Cause it's crazy, it's crazy, and I'm thankful to him for it. It's crazy that he was able to know exactly what this team needed to hear. I don't know if he has what that. Thomas uh, Müller needed to hear that
2: pen in the red box either from that dinner meeting where Romanega made the joke. <laughs> but that pen and that pen box needs to go in the Bayern museum, 100. percent
0: It does. It needs to get framed. It needs right to get next held to all the trophies forever forever because he's a, he's a he's a magician. He's a magician in and of his own right for being able to turn this team around from a point of utter breaking to making something amazing out of it. And I think and for I th- this season alone he's going to go down in Byron lore for for just this alone and he fully deserves to.
1: And I think it's important to understand why He was so successful and sure he made some tactical changes and he changed up some of the personnel, but Jake, like you and I had talked about previously, it was about building relationships with those players and he was able to do that. Immediately. He got the trust of a veteran locker room and the players responded to it and he couldn't be any different than Nico Kovac i mean kovach looks like he, they pulled him out of a gap catalog and like he's going to the yacht the man club. dresses flick <laughs> looks like he, he, he flick looks really like nice. he got off an 8 hour shift as an hvac repair man threw on his <laughs> best golf shirt and is headed to the pta meeting because his kid got in trouble for pissing in the corner at school all right that's they are so different but the way he was able to come in and just repair all that damage that Kovac did with the players. And I like Kovac, but he was not a player's coach flick went in, repaired all of that and turned the entire season around. And that's why Byron is at, you know, what, That's why they were able to achieve what they did. You could almost tell that Kovacs wasn't a
0: player's coach from the moment that he brought forth his Ten Commandments at the very beginning of his tenure, and he, like, set out a bunch of rules. Like, I remember reading those, and I was like, you dummy, like, like don't say stuff like that to, like, a team that is mostly made up of well-structured veterans. Like, that stuff may have worked at Eintracht Frankfurt, where you're coaching a bunch of people that are under the age of 27... But when you've got full-time starters, when you're dealing with Iron Robin and Franck Ribéry, you don't need to set up that kind of discipline. They're already disciplined players. And I imagine <laughs> that from that point on, he set himself up for failure
1: in that regard.
2: Chuck will also probably Absolutely. say it was that rendition of 99 Balloons at the Fan Club <laughs> Tours.
1: If he would have just released the footage of that... None of this would have ever happened. He could have won the entire team over if he would have just put that out on social media. He would have. He easily would have. Let's talk about the
0: game for a little bit, right? I got roasted a little bit in the comment section of the awards that I put out uh, for not picking Manuel Neuer as my uh, Meister of the Match. And I'll just say this as the reason why. Manuel Neuer had himself a great game, but the defense in front of him had a much better game. He did; They did a much better job than most people think, and a lot of them will give credit to Neuer. And, of course, Neuer's the captain of the defense. He deserves a lot of credit for that. Neuer made three saves all game. The defense made five blocks, and the rest of them went outside. Defensive stops were amazing this game, right? So a lot of blocks... That block on that shot from, I forget whether or not it was... um, Mbappe or... Neymar or Under Herrera that got blocked and went to the right post in the first half. That was an amazing opportunity. But I'll give Neuer credit, right? Neuer did a fantastic job. That double save on Neymar early was amazing. That save... From a wide open Mbappe, right? Mbappe has to hit that shot. He has to go top left. He has to bury that shot. Right to Neuer. Somehow he doesn't. He just dinks it right down the middle like he's trying to hit a putt. 12 feet in front of him. No, you can't hit that kind of shot. You can't be one of the best young strikers in the world and then hit that shot. Do you think Erling Holland misses that shot? Because I don't. And I don't blame Mbappe for it, right? Because he's still young. He still has to figure it out. But he's played on big stages before. He's won a World Cup for France before. Like, you you have to think a little bit better on that. And then his third save was that one on Marquinhos. He was already in good positioning. He was just able to really just, like... Kind of half-stick his leg out to make that save, right? And I know that I'm being, like, the kind of person that would brag about how I would have made it in Major League Baseball if I just got a chance from the coaches. But Manuel Neuer did a fantastic job. But the job that Tiago did yesterday was poetry in motion. He provided so much support. He was attacking Beautifully, he started off so many amazing attacking chances for this Byron team. He was on the ball defensively, he was commanding everybody. It, I think, it was probably the best performance of his entire career. He did such an amazing job, he deserves all the credit. For that reason, I picked him Meister of the Match, right? Neuer did great, but Tiago actually has like a legit, has like the legitimate quantity. As well as the quality of stats, right? Neuer had the quality; he was just slightly lacking in the quality. If he made like, if he was forced to make two more saves, I imagine I would have made him Meister of the match because he did that well of a job. And it, it's not like I left him off the list. Everybody was like, "Oh, Neuer was my Meister of the match." I put him second. Like it was a close second too, right? It wasn't like I was like, "Oh, I'm gonna pick Kingsley Coman because he scored the goal." <laughs> no, no, like the other two put in much better performances. And they deserve to go at least one and two. Somebody had to go one and two, and that's the way that I lined it out. But those two yeah. performances they're going to remember for the rest of their lives, performances that need to go down in Bayern history as some of the best ever.
2: Jake, and to your point, too, it's yeah. like if that wasn't a Champions League final, uh, let's say Neuer makes those saves in a either uh, Bundesliga der Klassiker or perhaps even a DFB Pokal knockout game, you know, Those three saves in particular And mind you the first one I listened to CBS Sports uh, BT Sport Pretty much every uh, major punditry uh, Division that I could listen to And Peter Schmeichel was saying The first save, the double save that you mentioned He does kind of uh, get a fortuitous bounce After it hits his uh, leg And it was basically just his arm falling To brace his fall That wound up knocking it to the side Uh, And then Neymar went to cross it back in and obviously Neuer blocked it with his foot, but uh, you know, to add to your point, you know, would people uh, who were making those arguments in the comment section would they be doing so if this wasn't a Champions League final? Uh, and I agree. I, I think Tiago had one of the performances of his life. The guy's kind of like Pirlo esque in the way that he can just like completely shift his hips so quickly to wrong foot defenders. Um, and, like, in the buildup to the goal, I mean, he just plays a perfect pass. And um, it was Rio Ferdinand and Owen Hargrave speaking about this on BT Sport. If you watch the clip, I mean, he's almost like a quarterback, you know, a, a quarterback when they disguise where they're looking before they throw the ball, you know, and it, and it reels in the defensive backs uh, two steps in the wrong direction when players are going that quick is, is massive. And if you look at that pass, that leads to the, the goal-scoring sequence. I mean, he virtually takes five, six PSG players out of out of the question with that one simple pass and immediately on the back foot. And, you know, our attacking players were just so quick to get on the edge of the area. Uh, and Kimmich was able to play a, a beautiful dink over to uh, Coleman, who cleverly was making that run to the far post. And I have to agree with you, Jake. I think Thiago, that was at least his best game in a really long while, if not one of his best in a Bayern shirt.
1: And I mean, honestly, you know, Jake, there, there weren't really any wrong answers yesterday. I thought Tiago was great, Neuer yeah. was great. You could you could go through every single player that got on the pitch yesterday and and point out dozens of contributions that they made. Just the way that that Robert Lewandowski and Thomas Muller tracked back and pressed and created havoc for PSG the entire game could easily point to to the performances they had. Just Kimmich. Gretzka, even though maybe it wasn't his best game, but you really can't discredit the effort that he put out in the midfield. And yes, Tiago was absolutely the key to that midfield, but I think that's where Byron won the game. It was in the midfield and with their defending yeah. there. Yeah. So Jake, I, I wouldn't knock you as much as I would want to. Rip you, Jake, <laughs> I, I can't find any reason. Yeah, to. yeah so, Thank you for that. got to give
2: Tiago more credit too, <laughs> as well as Davies, you know, both got yellow cards, especially a guy like Davies. I mean, His was early on. I mean, young Mm. player, it is not very, very easy um, to play in that level of a match, you know, on a yellow card. And in the second half, you saw what Tuchel did. I think he knew he switched uh, Neymar and Di Maria so that Neymar would be lining up on uh, Davies' side to give him a run for his money and potentially get him in some danger. But I think, as Atalanta and RB Leipzig showed, I mean, Neymar gets very frustrated when he has to come uh, far back for possession, and that just completely ruins the game that he wants to play and that Thomas Tuchel and PSG want him to play. And I, I think that that Byron, for large parts, did really well. I thought the only time they were dangerous was on the break when those guys were in open spaces. And, yeah, credit to them. I mean, playing with the yellow card in, in that situation for that long. Granted, I think Davies, he was unlucky. He seemed to kind of slip on the pitch as uh, Tilo care was kind of going around him. Yes, he did kind of grab out, but... Uh, on the main, I I would have some choice words for the referee. Even though we won, I mm. thought there were a lot of really contradictory yeah. calls. Neymar with his antics and flopping around. I mean, I think you all know the instance where Gnabry um, was called for a foul on him right on the touchline. I mean, you saw Gnabry basically mm. grazed him with maybe a millimeter of his cleat, and Neymar did his whole I don't
0: know. Act. I think I I think that's a foul. I think, oh oh I think oh! That it's a foul. One was like a more acceptable foul, right? Like the referee, I think, had a really rough game. Well, to be fair, <laughs> like, I mean like,
2: either team. Mbappe, after a second a second look, I think Kimmich clearly kicks him. I think the only reason it's not gone to VAR is Mbappe sells it a little bit. But obviously, we had mm-hmm. a shout at the other end with Kerr and Koman. Uh, there was another one too yeah lewandowski towards the end the
0: other thing yeah, I want to get into that I want to talk about that. I want to talk about like the three obvious penalties that could have been given at to both teams at either time. I was talking on Twitter with um someone we brought on the show before, Andre Carlisle and he said, is that a penalty yes was that was he glad that he wasn't that it wasn't given he said also yes and I pressed him on that and he said that it really shouldn't. Like in a Champions League final, you have to make it like an incredibly obvious penalty in order to give it. If we're operating within like that idea, then sure, let's talk about that, right? Let's start off by talking about like Alphonso Davies foul, right? It's a foul it's not a yellow card in my book at least right yeah. like yes it's a foul they're both jockeying for position they're both trying to get the ball Davies thinks that he has the pace to be able to get in front of him he kind of just uses his arm to like get in front of him and then um yeah he, he like tries to stop and he kind of throws the guy to the ground but yeah that doesn't like, happen only doesn't barely slip,
2: in my opinion like he, he clearly yeah uh, it doesn't happen yeah, if he doesn't slip up from him the, the, yeah, you could the, see the
0: mark in the you know what it is uh, in on the pitch. The pitch could that not, saw him slip. The pitch
2: couldn't handle Davies' pace. I mean, that's they need Chuck. They to need to the get Bavarian grassworks on the job for these big matches. <laughs> we Absolutely. need the best grass. You need to be able to handle Davies' pace because he's got a lot you of. Need
0: it. quality grass, but here was my issue. Right, it's an absolute foul. You have to give that foul, and I don't blame the referee for giving that foul. But when you call that a yellow card that that sets a precedent for the rest of the game yep, definitely right referees know that handing out cards sets precedent and sets the tempo for the rest of the game yep so if we fast forward to the 45th minute and we see Tilo Carrer put his arms on the neck of Kingsley Coleman as he tries to dribble into the box and then he slips and goes down I think in any other game other than a Champions League final, that's a yellow card and that's a penalty. You have to give that a penalty. I think that VAR should have been instituted, which I want to add that never once did the referee's VAR official tell him to go have a second look. Yeah. Right. And I'll give him credit for that. Right. You want to have VAR say, I really think you should take a look at this. If you think that you got it wrong, use the use the monitor. Check the monitor and really look at it. Right? Was it a bit of a soft penalty? Maybe. Right? Like I don't know whether or not the amount of force that Kara applied would have brought him to the ground. Right? But I think if you look at it, his hand is on like his shoulder. And Coman is turning, and Kerr knows that he's turning to try to cut into the box. And he goes down. I think that's a penalty. But it's not the most obvious penalty, right? If I were to rank the penalties, that would be penalty number three, right? The second, most likely, would have been that Mbappe one, right? I don't know if Kimmich's contact on the back of Mbappe's heel was enough for him to slip up, right? It didn't necessarily look like he really slipped up. He tried to keep going with the play. Both boots were pink, right? Which I thought was super cute, by the way, that Mbappe <laughs> got to relive uh, his uh, f- the first pair of boots that he ever wore, which were originally worn by Franck Ribéry. I want to mention that. I thought that was fun. Um, I think that that was a tough call. I will give that to the referee. But I will say that they didn't go to var because the referee had exceptional positioning yeah to see everything that happened right if he didn't he would have gone to var and then he would have given the penalty i imagine that i have a slight issue here as well with cbs with cbs not necessarily the network but the people that were covering it they were they mentioned afterwards they were like oh did psg get robbed of a penalty And I was sitting there and I was looking like, yeah, yeah, they probably did get robbed of a penalty, but they didn't get robbed of the game because a good five minutes later was like the most obvious penalty of the game. Lewandowski is on a breakaway in the 90th plus one minute. He's on a breakaway. He's jockeying with Tilo Kerr. Carer steps in front of him, wraps his leg around Robert Lewandowski's leg with the ball in the box, doesn't make contact with the ball, and causes him to trip. I will give credit to BT Sport because they actually went back and reviewed it. I think CBS Sports had that opportunity to also go back and review. I'm pretty sure the entire board would have said that that was a penalty because BT Sport's refereeing expert... Said that when he saw it for the first time, he thought it was a penalty. And when he looked at VAR, he knew it was a penalty. That one could have obviously been given a yellow. You could argue maybe that it could have been given a red because it was pretty much a one on one chance between Lewandowski and the goal with Kerr kind of jockeying by his side. There wasn't a defender in front of him. He doesn't make contact with the ball. The ball doesn't, like, skitter away from contact so the referee could have been like, oh, like, it may have gone off of Karrar's foot. No. He stops his leg in front of Lewandowski, and he goes down. That, like, the other two, in, like, a normal Bundesliga match, I would have expected those to be called penalties. In the Champions League final, I would have expected that one to be called a penalty because I don't care if Bayern is up 1-0, right? PSG has the attacking talent to put themselves back in the game with a little bit of time. If Lewandowski goes down in the box, he doesn't always go down the easiest, right? He's a big, strong man. He's able to take care of himself. But if you step in front of him, right, and you basically do that to body him off of the ball, I don't know how you look at that, And then tell him to get up and play on. That's a clear and obvious penalty. I think that one was probably the most egregious out of all of them. And that was the one that really got me the most mad. I could have been fine... I was fine without that Koman one being mentioned. But that Lewandowski one has to be called a penalty. It absolutely needs to be called a penalty. And if you don't, then... I don't know that that that's just that's a bad miss. That's a bad miss on the referees part, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I don't disagree with you guys about the the lack of penalties that were called or the quality of the officiating. Uh, I just thought that they they weren't great. But in the end, it didn't really favor one side or the other. And I guess I, I, it's a little bit of revisionist revisionist history right now, because I think if it would have cost byron the title maybe i'd be a little angrier about it but i felt like for the most part there were some questionable decisions but i didn't think it was enough to uh, like basically impact the game because i felt like there were faulty calls both ways so in the end Mm -hmm. i think the result is the correct result and while i didn't think the officiating was great i i'm happy it didn't ultimately at least in my mind impact the outcome i agree
0: with that i think the refereeing was bad for both sides and i still think that in the end he probably should have given all three of those penalties right the yellow cards were relatively even to both sides the foul calls were relatively even to both sides but you can't yeah i don't know you can't you can't look at that and not uh, at any of them and not like consider going over to VAR and taking a second look.
1: Yeah. That, that makes complete sense. It it was kind of puzzling why there wasn't even, even a thought to go to really, you know, take another look at that. But like I said, in the end, you know, the result turned out in the, in the best way possible. So, you know, well, there, it could have been a lot worse, put it that way. If, for instance, they would have awarded Mbappe the PK and, you know, Bayern would not have gotten the other two, then right now we'd all be losing our yeah. mind. Tom would be ripping his shirt <laughs> off like he's the Hulk. Jake, you and I would just be outraged and probably... I'd be cursing. You would probably be muting me. Yeah. So I'd be I, screaming I mean, I think loudly we, into
0: we, the microphone. <laughs> right.
1: Muffle yeah. me yeah. down. But I think we're good though. I think we got what we wanted. The result was was the way it was, and you know it worked out for Jackie, mm-hmm. so, you
2: pretty much you hit them.
1: No, not even bad officials could yeah. take this title. Like that's I it. think they, yeah, were, yeah, they were they were really, really bad right to there. both sides. Both sides really
0: got robbed of penalty decisions, right? Yeah. And I think if you look at that PSG one, and you give that a penalty. I would agree with you. I think PSG should have gotten a penalty there, and I think it was bad on the referee to not go and check VAR. But if you give that a penalty, then you should give Lewandowski a penalty, and if we're talking about a slight tap to the back of a boot causing a penalty, then somebody going down because of contact on their neck also should be a penalty. So I just yeah. I think I think it was a I think there were a lot of missed chances from the refereeing crew on the evening that negatively affected both sides uh the yellow cards at first they were like kind of kept close to his chest right the first half there were a bunch of like fouls but he like kept it close he wanted to keep like control of the game but it got really chippy at the end he kept like brandishing that yellow card over and over again and everybody was just kind of getting angry at each other it was weird it was like right after that Coleman goal everyone was just like I'm gonna go for ankles and I'm gonna start doing it now (laughs) um but I don't know I think that I think that if we were a PSG blog we would obviously have a very different reaction to all of this um yeah, it's the, it's the idea of
2: objectivity, know. man. It is very difficult. You know, I give, like you mentioned, BT Sport. I know people give me stick for being uh, so quasi-British, but they just happen to be one of my favorite uh, punditry outlets. And it's because you are it, quasi-British. They're, yeah, <laughs> pretty much, pretty <laughs> much. I mean, I've had a good year. I've had Premier League, Bundesliga, Day of People Call, and Champions League to celebrate. I will mean, take any abuse because it's been a fantastic footballing year for me. <laughs>
1: You deserve all the MVP. Yeah, but how did your beer league team do? <laughs> hey, we were about to go go to playoffs. Right. That's, that's that's what we really. i I'm, want I'm to gonna
2: know. blame coronavirus. We were about to go to playoffs, and those playoffs <laughs> have, have yet to happen. But I will surely report back when that does in fact happen. But Jake, I was just gonna say, so like all those guys and pretty much uh, a large majority of CBS Sports, so not all of them, were former players and players who played in Champions League finals, and we're we're there. Uh, in those situations, both uh, during and before the times of VAR, and it like I mentioned, the objectivity is so difficult because uh, it's such a passionate game with a passionate narrative uh, from minute one to minute ninety to the end of stoppage time. And it, the thing I guess with VAR that that I don't know what the refereeing teams go over before in the buildup. You know, are they researching these guys' habits, their tendencies? Uh, you know, does so-and-so have an, a tendency to go down? Um, you know, does so-and-so have a tendency to try and influence the referee's decision by constantly talking to them? You know, how they always will pull over the captains to settle skirmishes, which one happened, obviously, after that Gnabry foul on uh, Neymar, where Paredes went right over and shoved Gnabry. Um, but Jake, you were mentioning the yellow cards, too, and the consistency, and the Davies yellow card setting a precedent. To my recollection, he had not had more than one or two fouls before that, and that foul only happens because he slipped and the pitch couldn't handle Davies' pace. But, you know, again, I can count on on two fingers the amount of times I saw incidents worth a second look from PSG. You know, Marquinhos in the first half wrangling Lewandowski's neck going up for a header. Uh, Kurzawa, after he had come on in the second half, was actually on a yellow. Uh, There was an instance where he smacked Lewandowski like right... Uh, across the sternum, like just just below his uh his throat, from what I could see, and for whatever reason, that was just completely overlooked. Uh, there was an effort in the first half where the Goretzka kind of came through, and um, he, it was a, a pretty venomous volley he was trying to hit, and he went right into Marquinhos, and then Silva, or I believe it was Thiago Silva, looked to kick out at him when he was on the ground, and of course nobody saw that. And with the whole VAR thing, it's it's like you try to make it as non-arbitrary as you can and as black and white as you can, but that gray area in football is so difficult because what defines a clear and obvious error? Because if you're going off of that basis from a re- from an objective refereeing standpoint, then he made clear and obvious errors all night. You see what I'm saying? Because it's not just yeah. for penalties. Obviously we know that um, this is also used for yellow and red card decisions uh, both ways, so reverting to a, uh, or excuse me, undoing a yellow, a red card decision, chaining it to a yellow, or uh, upgrading it, if you will, to a uh, hmm. a red card. And for the for the penalties, you know, I bring up the idea of objectivity and what they look at. You know, I wonder how much the, the players' reputations precede themselves. You know, guys like Mbappe, Neymar, or Lewandowski, koman On the Coman one, I would just ask that. Or excuse me, I would just add that with all the replays, again similar to the Davies yellow card, it did look that uh, like on when he was turning his right foot, uh, the pitch came up just a little bit. I think uh, if that didn't happen, even though Carrer had his arm on Komand's uh, neck and shoulder, I think Komand would have stayed up. I think it was that little bit of the pitch kind of coming up on him that that helped him fall down. Um, I still think it deserved a second look, as did Mbappe's and Lewandowski's. But, again, you know, who the hell are we to say what clear and obvious <laughs> is? Because you hear that, like, how many times did you hear that from uh, Mika Richards, Jamie Carragher, uh, Owen Hargraves, Rio Ferdinand, Jake, from you listening to BT Sport as well? How many times did you hear that phrase? Do, you have, do, do we have any more clarity on it after a match like last night? No, I not don't. even close. Even if I'm taking a step back, yes, obviously, I'm elated, and we're Bayern fans, but taking a couple steps back and listening to multiple experts talk about this. You know, guys who had to deal with uh, getting laid into in an, an era when football was a lot more aggressive and there was no VAR to help them. You know, I, it's just I would hope that uh, the, fo- the governing footballing bodies would uh, make it more obvious what clear and obvious errors are, you know, quote-unquote error marks. Mm-hmm. Uh, because right. based off last last night's barometer, he was making clear and obvious errors. Uh, by yeah. by the rule of law, uh, uh, football, all night. But as Chuck said, better team won on the balance. We didn't need the ref or VAR to help us, and we are treble winners.
0: Let's talk about two more things before we end this episode. Let's start off by talking about the future of this specific competition. This was, was a lot of fun. This competition was... A lot of fun. And I think part of that lies in the urgency of all of it. For those that don't live in the United States or don't watch it, Chuck, I know you said this on Twitter or you said it in Slack or somewhere, this really had the feeling of the NCAA tournament where it was all brackets, you never knew what was going to happen, you could argue that not every best team came out with a win you could argue that for the Europa League as well right like I imagine that Sevilla team in a second leg scenario in the semifinals doesn't necessarily get past Manchester United and you have a Man United versus Inter Milan final but Sevilla was a team that was able to get it done and they went on and they won their own cup competition yet again um, this was a lot of fun and I loved this and it did a couple of things. It eliminated the need for away goals it eliminated excuse me really weird rules like having one yellow card in one leg and then having another yellow card in another leg would suspend you for the first game of whatever next round you make it to, and more importantly, every team goes out there and plays like it's their last game. You don't field a roster of players that are just eh. You go out there and you field your best roster, and there's no playing for ties. There's no playing for away goals. You go out there and you play the game as it's supposed to be. You go out there and you try to win the whole thing. It's beautiful, and I think that UEFA needs to consider implementing it full time because it's so much more fun this way. It's it's beautiful. It was so much fun to watch. We need to keep we need to keep that going.
1: I, I really I agree with you hundred percent. And I think in the end, even though we thought it was fun and we loved the knockout eh, the knockout nature of this. I I think in the end, it comes down to finances, right? UEFA makes a ton of money off of the game, so not having a second leg probably, not probably, it definitely hurts their pocketbook. So my suggestion would be, and and maybe it dilutes the competition, but maybe let more teams in. If you need to make more revenue, let more teams Mm -hmm. in. You're still probably going to get the best teams down in the final 16 or whatever. But if that's the the sacrifice we have to make, I mean, I I don't know. I'm loving the prospect of maybe Bayer Leverkusen knocking off uh, Chelsea, you know, in in a round of 32 game or something. Like, I, I mean, like that would be fun for me. So if it takes letting more teams in and doing more of a tournament style format with brackets and everything, I think it would be awesome. Now, there are probably some, you know, people that would disagree with it. Maybe there are, are a group that they really like the second leg nature of things, but this was great for me. I, I loved it. And it, to be honest, it's what we all needed during this pandemic. We needed something like this. We needed that excitement. I loved every second. Yeah, if they of they it. call March madness, the dance. Then this was like a freaking
2: Blitzkrieg Rammstein, like mosh pit, because it was absolutely <laughs> awesome. Absolute bedlam. I can't, Uh, say this in full confidence but i mean that had to have set a record uh well i guess maybe not because of the two legs but case in point there were just a bunch of goals scored and it was a a bevy of goals to to watch highlights for uh especially our big 8-2 victory over barcelona (laughs) that's Um, gonna be
0: fun explaining it to our kids in the future they're like oh dad did your team beat Barcelona 8-2 over two legs? Because that's how it's normally played. No, son. We beat them 8-2 in one game. And they had Messi on the field. You can
2: show them the picture and quote uh, of Alfonso Davies. He, no, he didn't want to swap jer- jerseys with me because he was a little upset. <laughs> or like the picture want from Leo yesterday.
0: I Leo Messi to send Alfonso Davies a signed jersey. <laughs> the kid deserves it. The
2: picture uh, yesterday... Um, Neymar, credit to him being a good sport, taking a picture with Musiala. I think it was our very own I Need No Name on his Twitter. You mean Musiala,
0: Musiala allowed a fan to take a picture <laughs> with him?
2: Yeah, that's great. That's one of the best things I saw yesterday. But Chuck, to go back to your point about finances in UEFA, I'm, I'm looking at that from two different perspectives. So, one, uh, I'm channeling our own Marcus Iredal, football romantic. Uh, And something I kind of bide by as well Is just the fans Um, If and when uh, coronavirus is under control And and fans are allowed At whatever capacity or full capacity I mean to me The fans and the atmosphere that European nights Generate are are like Absolutely nothing else uh, In the world Uh, People who aren't fans of uh, European soccer They just don't in my opinion Quite understand it Yes there's energetic atmospheres at different sports You know in different countries but to me, I've been to professional sporting events for every single sport uh, in the U.S. And while it does get very raucous and it's a, it's a blast, um, it, it's not quite the same um, as European nights or um, even friendlies when, like, Bayern and, and a lot of these teams come to the U.S. I mean, the fact that you can generate a better atmosphere at a preseason friendly at a U.S. venue uh, versus an actual, you know, league match for whatever sport it is in the U.S. says something. So I'm looking at it from that perspective and with the whole finances thing, I mean, maybe they could um, work it out to if they were always neutral venues. I mean, they'd have to have some sort of way of working that out with, um, I guess, neutral sites that are halfway between two, two different teams uh, and the regions that they're from. Um, that might be a, a lot more difficult to facilitate. Um, but for me, they're just like, that's what I'm thinking of first is the fans, because I think we all know that, especially uh, when there's away matches, you UEFA, for lack of a better term, financially like to take advantage of the traveling fans. Um, I think that's happened many, many times to Bayern fans, and our ultras have made it clear uh, that they don't tolerate or stand for that. Um, we won't repeat some of the things that they've written on the banners, but you know our ultras know how to get a message across and get people to pay attention to it so there's that aspect, but there, I'm also lo- looking at it from an aspect of with these one-off matches, um, Jake, when you were speaking with Jimmy Conrad on the podcast episode ahead of the Champions League final, you know he was talking about the World Cup that's coming up uh, in North America in a couple years and how to get all the, uh, the steam engine running, so to speak, forward and getting all the momentum when... Uh, You know, the eyes of the world are going to be on this region for the world's biggest stage. And I'm thinking these games are a lot more interesting in the one-offs for all of the Mm -hmm. reasons that both of you guys just mentioned. Would this not be more appealing to the average sports viewer, uh, not only in the U.S., but in the world, who who might not be a a soccer uh, or a European football fan? I mean, I'm sure you guys have friends that say, oh, wait, why are they stopping the game? Uh, because it's a draw. There's not even a winner. And I don't mean to stupefy the voice, but you get that, that comment from people who aren't fans of the sport all the time. You know, I, and yeah. I know that both of you guys know what I mean. So maybe doing away with the two legs uh, could could help in that sense for the, for the neutral viewer. You know, extra time, penalties if need be. Um, like you said, teams having to play expressive. You can't Jose Mourinho and just park the bus. Uh, at the away leg and try and poach an away goal. I mean, that could be very, very beneficial for the sport. It's a shame that they said they're not going to do that, at least for the time being, but maybe they should uh, wise up and be like the FA Cup and get rid of those gosh darn stupid replays and those two-legged affairs.
1: It would probably also enhance gambling on the events. If, oh, yes. If, if it was just a <laughs> one-and-done knockout, which I, I think UEFA should probably consider oh, as absolutely. well. Con- with the way gambling is exploding now, especially in the United States... You could get any American to throw down twenty-five bucks on any soccer game that they where they don't know any of the players, the coaches, or anything, but they just but Chuck, the why action. would
2: you assume that UEFA is going to make decisions based off of money instead of people?
0: <laughs> I mean, where would you get that <laughs> yeah, idea? No, I, How about that <laughs> final thing? This is a Bayern team that just won the Champions League. This is a Bayern team that also is going to get Leroy Sané next year. <laughs> How are we feeling for confidence for the season that starts in a little under a month, boys?
1: I'm 100% confident in the ability of the team. I want to see how their depth plays out. I love the job that Hansi Flick did, and I'm fully confident he can do it again. To be honest, I'm expecting great things. Because of the nature of the season and how we're basically going from the end of the Champions League straight to the start of the Bundesliga, I think it works out perfectly for Bayern. Sure, there may be times where you might have some tired legs, but that's where I think if Flick and Brazo can put together some depth on this roster and if the sub-rotations can be worked out in a way that your key players can stay healthy... and I have full confidence that that Flick will do this, I I think Byron is primed and poised to make another run. I I love the composition of this roster. I love the mix of veterans and young players. I love the mix of speed and power. I I couldn't be more excited to see this team take the field
2: again. Does uh, Brazo have to keep growing his beard, or does he got to shave
1: that, keep that thing? I, I think he does. Yeah, he's got to keep it, and then you can go buy an AK off him because you know he's probably got, like, three <laughs> he does front, kinda so. look like a He does kind of look
0: like a gangster with that beard on, and he looks amazing. Like and we
2: one, know right? from that picture from that preseason tour, he knows his way around a sword. <laughs> so, so
0: that's right. <laughs> Absolutely. You don't want to mess with
2: Brazo God. and the Brazo beard. But, Jake, uh, to answer your question, you know, I don't oftentimes look like or sound really cool on this podcast or do anything very cool in real life. So I'm going to try and just go ahead and have a really cool moment here and just say that this is the beginning. That's it. This is the beginning of an era. The Flick era, and I have full confidence as long as that man is in charge, this team will run through a brick wall for that man and you know, this is just the beginning. That's it.
0: It is the beginning because officially after this podcast ends, we will be going into our third season of Bavarian podcast works and that is crazy to me it's crazy to think uh the pod has grown immensely over the last uh over the last couple of months I believe it's about a year a little over a year or maybe it's almost halfway to a year and a half um I want to thank a lot of people because we're wrapping up this second season for a podcast that currently sits at about 130,000 downloads. That's an amazing number. I'm going to have to produce another special a lot sooner than I thought, which is good in every way, shape, and form. So there's a lot of people that I want to thank because this has been a wild year for the podcast even outside of COVID-19, we went from starting the season with a six-man project, running individual previews of each Bundesliga team for this season. We, uh, we had summer episodes about the Women's World Cup from 2019. We started off the season really well. This is a season that saw Chuck leave and then come back. This is a season where we developed a partnership with uh, the club in New York. This is a season where we not only hit fifty thousand downloads, but a hundred thousand downloads. And as such, there is a lot of people I have to thank. I have to thank the two of you, of course. First of all, thank you two for being. Decent enough co-hosts. <laughs> um, of course. <laughs> uh, go ahead. I know you want to say something, so say it, Chuck. <laughs>
1: well, I was going to say decent. That's probably a little <laughs> bit too much praise for for at least me. Maybe, May. maybe. Okay. You
0: did leave after all, so that might be a little bit too much praise. But thank you for coming back. I want to thank John <laughs> Dillon for giving us this opportunity to make this podcast. I want to thank uh, the team at SBN for... Allowing us to get it started in April of 2019, uh, I want to thank uh, the partners in New York uh, from the club. Whether it was at first the first two people that I met, Christian Niari and Scott Sandalo, to now it's Edgar Osero and Richie O'Reilly. Thank you all for your uh, for your help and support. Thank you to. The people that download this every single day thank you to my professors at Syracuse for teaching me how to do all the audio editing because if we didn't know how to do that then good lord this thing would sound terrible thank you to uh loyal uh and supportive uh families of each of us knowing that we all have uh, different schedules and we all have to take time out of our day and most importantly Thank you to Manu, and Nicholas, and Benjamin, and Jerome, and Lucas, and David, and Joshua, and Lars Lucas Mai, and Tiago, and Javi, and Philippe, and Mikhail, and Leon, and Alfonso, and Quentin and Robert, and Ivan, and Serge, and Kingsley, and Tomas, and Nico, a little bit, and Hansi, for making this a season to remember. This is unbelievable. As Thomas said, it's only the beginning. And we're going to go to amazing places from here. And we hope you guys want to come along for the ride. But for now, there's not much that Byron has for the next couple of weeks. So we're going to officially end our season here. We're going to take a little bit of time off. And we're going to celebrate. And you should too. Because we freaking won the Champions League final in the most unbelievable year possible. So with all that being said, thank you very much for listening. Be sure to like, rate, share, subscribe, and download us on all the platforms. You know the spiel. Follow us on Twitter. And until next time, when we start off the 2020-2021 Bundesliga and DFB-Pokal and Bayern Munich season, where we try to defend a freaking treble... We will see you later. Stay healthy, stay safe. Stay happy and stay celebrating, Alfie to say.